I'm excited. Hey, we've been in the middle of a series called Dark Room, and you may see some photos that have developed over time throughout the past weeks. You can catch those on our podcast and really just tune into those as well. Um, but we're excited about what God can do in a dark room place, okay? And today, everything is culminating at the tomb, the darkest room known to mankind, I believe, and you'll hear about it more later. But we're, we're challenged with this thought process of life and perception of things to say, okay, if I'm in a dark place, how will I allow God to develop it or will I allow it to take me down completely? Does that make sense to anybody? Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm like that half-empty kind of guy sometimes. I look at the cup, and some would say, that's half full, man. You got a lot more to go. And I'd be like, oh, gosh, we need to prepare. You know, it's half-empty. All right? But God has allowed me to journey through a lot of darkroom places as he has you. And these are some of the things that God will develop in you if you let him. Okay? Belief, identity, truth, courage, triumph. And today he's going to develop salvation. All right? That's what the tomb did. It developed salvation. It took separation and developed salvation. All right? So you'll see that in just a moment. But what I want to do, I've been really gripped this past week with the thinking of what really happened during Holy Week. Anybody ever think this way? A lot of churches don't really go through a lot of the process and understanding of what Jesus went through the week leading up to his death and resurrection. A lot of times it's like, oh yeah, Palm Sunday, then Easter's coming. There's a lot in between. So what I want to try and do is set the stage for you guys a little bit better. I love telling stories because I think stories really communicate so much better to folks, okay, than somebody just reading a whole lot, okay? Sometimes it makes sense. depends on how animated the reader is, okay? But (laughs) that happens. Um, You've been here before. So, but what I want to try and do is I want to take you through the week first, and then we're going to end at a really cool place that you probably never expected to end within the Easter story, okay? But I think it's very important. Have you ever had a hard week? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how about a hard two weeks in a month, a year, whatever? <laughs> this is a hard week. Last week we started, you remember that, with a triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Super important, okay, as an understanding. They were crying out, Hosanna, okay? And it's funny to see, and and I looked on our back porch as I looked at the palms that were given out. Anybody else look at your palms over the week? Not your palms, but the palms that was given out to you. What happened over the week? They dried out and they withered. That'll preach. We'll get to that later, okay? Monday. Remember, we talked about a little bit last week because it was the day after Sunday, and we see Jesus going into the temple and clearing the place out because he was so upset, so frustrated that his father's house had become a place, what he called a den of robbers. Why? Because again, the exchange rate, people were bringing money from other countries during Passover to get their sacrifices, and they were being exploited, but also they were meeting in a place of Gentile worship, and God sent his only begotten son for Jews and Gentiles alike. So therefore, he was a little perturbed that Gentiles couldn't worship as well. Okay? Monday. And then we see, we move to Tuesday. And there's some debates that Jesus has with religious leaders in the temple about what would happen to them, to their temple, to their faith, okay? And it just really did not set well with them because they were always at the attempt of trying to preserve the temple, preserve their faith so that they had something that they could always lean on. And from the very beginning, when Jesus stepped foot on the earth, he messed up the program, okay? That was Tuesday, We see Wednesday, plans are being set into motion. Are you getting in this with me? Are you walking through this week? Wednesday, we see the plans that are being set into motion for the betrayal of Jesus by one of his closest 
friends, aka disciples, one of the 12 that used to do life with him, that watched his ministry take place, that was with him every day, that they, they camped in the same place. I always picture Jesus and his boys like one big humongous camp out with a lot of cool miracles in between. You ever picture that? It's like, you want to go fishing? Let's go fishing. Let's do it. And Jesus is like, what? And they're like, whoa, that's a catch. Okay. That's like Jesus. <laughs> they're out there like this. And Jesus is like, oh, you know, we see this beginning to ramp up though. And this disciple Judas is the one that will betray him. And then folks like Caiaphas and, and Judas and more other Jewish people are seeking to preserve Judaism as much as possible. So they're setting a plan into place, a plot to get rid of the one who would mess with everything that they've worked so hard to preserve. You ever feel that way sometimes? You build this wonderful system of life and then there comes somebody that says, hey, you know, <laughs> just wanna let you know you really messed up right here and it's all gonna fall down. Doesn't that kind of shake you a little bit? This is what Jesus was doing here. He was shaking their system and they didn't like it too well at all. Thursday, the day before Passover, Jesus engages his disciples in what is known as the Last Supper. He breaks bread with them, right? He shares of the wine with them because he was showing them that his body would be broken so they'd be made whole, that his blood would be spilled, what was symbolic of the wine. That's why we do communion now in memory of what he did. He begins to show them that everything's about to change and gives them the example as he washes their feet what do you think they wore back in the day? Do you think they wore like Nike Airs? Huh? They wore thongs, sandals. See, you guys, stop it. They wore sandals everywhere they went. Just making sure people are awake. I know it's a little warm in here. We had the AC on, but it's still a little warm. You're like, best place ever to get sleep is church, okay? But these are some nasty, nasty feet. Some dude feet on top of that. And Jesus shows them. <laughs> Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus shows them what it looks like to be a servant, even to the point of washing feet and laying down his life. He's showing them what is going to happen. The once and for all sacrifice that he will become. And then after dinner, we see that Jesus takes the 11 with him. Judas is now out of the picture to the garden of Gethsemane, where he will engage in the hardest prayer service of his life. You may have read about this before. You may this week, as you were challenged to read through the Gospels a little bit about this, this holy week, you may have, have seen these pictures where Jesus was sweating blood, okay? Drops of blood because he was in such deep agony and anguish as to what was to come. Matthew 26, 38 is where we see this. He leaves the 11. He takes three with him, okay? So you can do the math. And then they get closer and closer and Jesus is in this place and he's not in this position as he's praying of one who stands because that was customary in the Jewish faith, but he was in such a position where he was knees and face to the ground because it was so heavy what he was bearing. Think about it. Your sin, my sin, our hatred, all these things, that day is where it was beginning. He was overwhelmed and he said these things. And this can cause confusion sometimes, but it will make sense. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup, Luke twenty-two forty-two. He was talking about the sonship that he had with the father, but he was also talking about his humanity, how hard it was to bear this cup. The cup was symbolic of agony and it was so hard for him because he was still 100% man and 100% God. Are you with me? I like stub my toe when I cry like a baby. That's what us men do. Mom, please come here, help me, you know? And here's Jesus. 
getting ready to engage in the worst interaction with man ever known. And he cries out in this moment, Abba, Father, which is an intimate term that even grown Jewish men would use in relationship to God. A term that's just so, so endearing, so loving, and so close to God's heart. He says, if you can, let it go. But he kept going. And we see as he went back to his disciples to check on them, they've fallen asleep three times. So you see Jesus at the loneliest place of his life. Think about it. Put yourself in his sandals for a moment. He's in this place where absolutely no one understands what he is going through, right? Even the ones that watched him perform amazing miracles and did life with him for years had fallen asleep on the job. And here Jesus is all alone and by himself. And as he wakes his disciples, the betrayal begins. And we find ourselves at Good Friday. Early Friday morning, the day begins to unfold. Mind you, all the things that, uh, that are going to happen throughout this day were supposed to happen. We see Jesus stand trial a few times before the Sanhedrin, this one, which is the Greek council or assembly. I like to make sense of these things so you have context and understanding. These are the ones that could handle religious and civil affairs. The only ones who could prosecute a king, known in the New Testament as the body of leaders, okay? It's important that would, would try to annihilate Jesus coming and for people understanding who he is. And Caiaphas, the high priest at this time, was the one who said, we need to get rid of this person because what he can do is completely obliterate our system. Why was he so, so hell-bent on getting rid of Jesus? Well, the Sanhedrin taught and sought for people to have good relationships with Rome. They were living in this bondage, right? They were living up under Rome, and they wanted to make sure that they could maintain their religion Okay, keep their temple, keep everything in good working order while simultaneously being good Jews. And Jesus was wrecking the system, talking like taking down a temple, talking about leaders falling. These people were really upset at him. And we see this beginning to unfold and we see the Sanhedrin hell bent on taking him down because of what he sought to do. We see Jesus stand trial before Pilate. And Pilate really had a good heart in this. He was someone who wanted Jesus to go free. All right, you may have seen that in scripture before, but he was the only one that could put him to death. It wasn't the Jewish folk from the Sanhedrin that could. It could only be Rome. So what they did is they were so upset, right? So upset. And Pilate offers to release Jesus to them as customary, to release someone. But they say, give us Barabbas instead. If you're here Friday night, before I refine, you may have seen that, you know, so powerful where they said, give us Barabbas, crucify him, get rid of him because we don't want him because he will mess with our system. Pilate responds, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against this man, John 19, four through six. He, he tries and tries to let him go, but yet they persist. They persist and they persist. And they say, this man, he's, he's causing an uprising against Caesar. Pilate, how do you want to look before Caesar? Do you want to maintain your status as a leader in this land? Well, if so, you need to make sure this guy, who is an insurgent, if you will, okay, has to go down or he will ruin everything. So what happens? Jesus is then led to this crucifixion. 
He takes the hill called Calvary with his cross. And we see the magnitude of his injury because during this time, he was flogged. He was beaten to a point where his body, you couldn't even recognize him. Flesh tore from his body, muscles exposed, bone exposed. And we see, because Pilate in this time was just trying to say, please, just let's do this. Maybe this will appease the people, but nothing worked. Only crucifixion, only death. Kill the person who could mess with the whole system. Get rid of him, we'll be fine. But they're missing something called the kingdom of God. But we see Jesus begin to build this kingdom by way of a cross as he carries it on his back. Open wounds. Think about this. Think about this, and not open wounds like a small cut and you're hammering a hammer and after a blister or something like that. Open wounds on his back where he's carrying this heavy piece of wood on his back. Why? So that we could be free. We see him doing this because of his love for us, carrying the full weight. Let me tell you about this crucifixion and what it was. It was the worst form of death in that time. And I think even to this time, and it was reserved, listen, for slaves, bandits, prisoners, and those that were part of the insurrection against Rome. This is something that Barabbas was supposed to get. Horrible and humiliating. They would stick you up there basically naked, okay? And he would just be up there before all man, just everything out. Jesus carries the cross of the shame to that place and the crucifixion. We see him here. We see soldiers begin to divide his clothing because that's what they would do to have money to get paid from it. And at this moment, as though when he breathed his last breath and he said it is finished, they thought it was over, there was this moment of separation. And that's what we're talking about today. As Jesus got to this place further and further, he felt more and more separated, only, honestly, from God in this moment because all that he was feeling, but also anybody else understanding. Everybody thought that it was over at this point, that the king that we thought would come, we're separated from that. There's no way we're, not, we're gonna be able to see this king happen. This guy, all of our hope was in him. We were singing Hosanna. This was the one that was gonna be the one that was gonna take everything away, that was gonna help us, that was gonna be the king. And now look at him dead on the cross. Nothing, nothing. Separated from our dreams, separated from the hopes. What is this separation? It was the devil's plan to try to separate us from God too. Because, you know, he thought in this moment that this is it. I've won. There is no way now that people can be saved because if I kill the one that bears salvation, if I take him down, then I've got him beat from the beginning. Separation, an act or process of separating, the state of being separated. A point, right? The line or a means of division. This is that dark room that we're visiting today that you will see develop into salvation. An understanding that God has redeemed us in this dark place. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the life quickly of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. You may have seen this scripture before nestled in there, and, and you may not have thought anything of it before, but there's something very powerful I think we can learn today about how we can become reunited with God through what Joseph did, okay? He was a man that was a secret disciple of Christ, Right? He was a man that was a, a, a leader within the Sanhedrin as well. And he was someone that uh, was you know, a kind of that secret follower that didn't want everybody to know that he had this relationship with God. But he was also someone that was known as the one who would give Jesus a proper burial. So important. So important that he would do this. Right? He was the man that said, give me Jesus. We see in scripture that Judas was someone who said, hey, give me preservation. 
If I deny Jesus, then I can preserve the faith. I can preserve my life a little more. The crowd said, give us Barabbas. Simon said, give me the cross to carry for him. Pilate said, give me popularity or position. The guards at the tomb, you'll find out later, said, give me money to even hide the truth. But Joseph said, give me Jesus. You think about this guy, Joseph. You think about who he is and who he was and why he's so significant. He was someone that was willing to go against the popular opinion to give Jesus a proper. He was thinking to himself, if I can do anything, I can bury this man. I can give him a proper burial that he deserves. So what we're going to do real quick is read four eye accounts, right? Four accounts that people see, eyewitness accounts firsthand. Matthew 27, 57 through 61. What you're going to do is see how they overlap and how they make perfect sense in the end. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea. You're going to see aspects of Joseph that we can identify with. Named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a, a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite of the tomb. I love that, how you understand that the women never left Jesus. It's so cool. Read into it later that they never left him. Mark 15, 42 through 47. Again, these are, these are gospel accounts. This one was written a little bit later. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was, was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, important, okay, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took the body down, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Luke, now there was a man named Joseph. I love how all these people see something different. Okay, and it's important for us, okay? Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action, okay? He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. He said, give me Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut, out of rock, cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. Again, you're hearing this, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And then John. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. You see this here. But secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish, Jewish burial customs. Okay, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was Jewish, the Jewish day of Passover. 
And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We see some examples in these four scriptures. I think it's so important for us to get a different perspective. You ever been somewhere like us on our family vacation a couple of weeks ago? It was so much fun. And what we do is we would ask, hey, what did you like best about this or that? And it was so cool to see where everybody had a different perspective and opinion on what was the greatest thing ever. Well, there's four things in here that I want to share with you quickly that I think is very important for us to understand about Joseph and also about our lives as well. The first, when he said, give me Jesus, he set aside his social status. You see the scriptures on the screen there before you. A rich man, a disciple of Jesus, right? You see that he was a member of the council, a good upright man who didn't agree with the decision that was made and a prominent member who was awaiting the kingdom of God. These are so important for us because a lot of times we want to choose preservation, don't we? We don't want to feel any pain of anything. We want to just keep going with the status quo. But this was an opportunity. We think burial, how important is this? It was all part of the plan. For him to set aside social status so that he could be obedient to God in this one thing. If he had never done anything before as a secret disciple and someone that had to sneak around about his relationship and his, his love for Jesus, this was the time that he was going to shine and he was going to set everything aside for it. Is that hard sometimes? I don't know about you guys, but I like people to be happy. Anybody else like people to be happy? When I go somewhere, I want somebody to like seeing me. I don't be like, oh God, it's the preacher again. You know what I mean? Here he comes with his Bible in hand. Whop! No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't hit people with the Bible. Wouldn't be good. But we see him in this moment, not worrying about social status more than worrying about who he is becoming in this moment as someone who is giving Jesus a proper burial. He chose Jesus when others didn't want to. Where was Jesus' disciples? Where? Gone. Flee. Gone. They were too scared. They were too filled with fear. But where was Joseph? Talking to Pilate, saying, give me Jesus. If I can do anything, let me do this one thing. Let me give him a proper burial. So important. He chose honor over insulation, over not having to feel, you know, the, the stress that he would normally feel, the anxiety and all these other things that came with the pressures of his position. His love for Jesus outweighed his fear for men. The second thing is when Joseph said, give me Jesus, he gave up his future plans. Matthew 27, 59 through 60, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Can you imagine cutting a tomb out of rock without a jackhammer? I'd be down with that. That'd be fun. You know, just look, 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 all around like that. That's really changed the last few years. Um, a lot more jiggle than before. Thanks, Grammy O's. <laughs> um, it happens. But you see him willing to give up his future. What do, you, what do you mean by this? How many of you guys plan ahead remotely? Do you wake the night before? Do you lay out your clothes? Anybody like that? Wow. Okay, that's fun. I love the mad dash in the morning. It just makes it fun, doesn't it? No. How, I don't know. How many of you like maybe plan to, to pay off your car someday? Would that be fun? Or own your car? Would that be fun? 
How, how, about, how about getting a house someday and owning a house? <gasps> Here's the dream of every pastor, retirement. <laughs> retirement. Anybody think about that? Where's my older people like me? Like, yeah, right? What's that mean, Dev? <laughs> Not necessarily. I see that hand. Bless you, sister. You're going to be with me, right? We're going to carve our own tomb. Well, it'll be a family tomb, okay? Which is what they were. A place that he wasn't only securing for himself, but he was securing for his family, an understanding that this was our future, that I'm taking care of everything for us. And that's what a good father would do, right? We plan ahead, right, dads? Like, oh, geez, I got to get on that. Yes, we do. (laughs) A good father would plan ahead. This guy was willing to say when he said, give me Jesus, I'm not worried about the rest. For so long, I have feared man and what they could do to me. But in this moment, I don't have this fear because I have Jesus. When he took Jesus's body in that moment, he was willing to give everything up. So important. You're like, a tomb? Yes, a tomb. But what's so beautiful about this tomb, it was a borrowed tomb that he wouldn't be in forever. Third thing, when Joseph said, give me Jesus, he truly believed now that Jesus' kingdom had come, that God's kingdom had come. He was this prominent member who he himself was waiting for God's kingdom. It wasn't the status that he carried in the earthly kingdom, but the one that he wanted in his heavenly kingdom, believing that Jesus had come to truly set this up. The same Jesus at the triumphal entry, who was the king, was the king to him at this point. God wants to set his kingdom up. The last thing is this. He finally found rest. Mark 15, 46. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took the body down, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of it. You're like, how? What? this is when the Sabbath was coming. This was his last act before the Sabbath, which in Jewish culture is a time you do nothing. That day you don't do anything. But think about him and his life and all the Sabbaths he had had before, all the days before, and how it may have felt compared to this one. He did the one thing that he was supposed to do with his life. He was willing to say, give me Jesus, regardless of what it looked like, and he finally had rest. I don't know about you guys, but I can get pretty weary. I can get pretty tired. I can get pretty overwhelmed, but when I say, give me Jesus, he takes these things from my life and instead gives me rest. Matt, if you and the team could come up, bud, because we're going to be concluding in just a second. He found this rest, and we see Mark 16, 1 through 8, when the Sabbath was over, this day, and you think about this Sabbath when everybody was all up in arms, because remember, so much had happened on this Friday Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone? Who will move the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. 
He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as I told you. So important. When Jesus came back, he said some things. Jesus said this. I love this. Give me the cup. Give me your sin. Give me your shame. Give me your agony. Give me your fear. Give me your hatred. Give me all of your pain. Give me your rejection. Give me everything. That's what he was saying because he then turned it and said, I will give you, I love this, rest. I will give you rest. But you know what we have to say? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. We fight and we fight and we fight, don't we? I, I'm self-made. I'm kind of that kind of guy. You know, look, look what we've done. Look what we've done. We built a church, man. We got this awesome space. We got all this stuff we can do. We got people that are just gung-ho with us, ready to fight. We did this. No, Mm-mm. this was Jesus. And whenever we think we did it, whenever we think we can do it, we are deceived. You need to say, give me Jesus. He's all you need. He changed everything when he came back from death. He took separation, which is sin, and he brought salvation. He developed in that tomb rest so that we could be with him forever. I don't know about you guys. That's some good news because I work so hard all the time and only the moment that I realize, give me Jesus, do I find that true rest. So take a moment with me this morning. Close your eyes for a second. And I want you to make a conscious decision. I want you to make a real decision, not some, something that's been led by emotion or something like that. But I want you to think with your mind and your heart and ask yourself, have I said, give me Jesus and everything? Have I held back parts of my life? Have I thought that I can do it on my own, that I want to preserve everything, that I want to, to try to be sustainable on my own, that I don't need help, only to find that you're in a dark room by yourself? Today is a day that God is going to develop hope, develop rest, develop an understanding of what it means to be saved. If anything and of most things from ourselves. God, we need you. God, we need you. And we thank you for sending your only begotten son to build a bridge between us and you because you loved us so much from the very beginning that it was your idea that none should perish. It wasn't your idea to create hell for us because you want us to be with you in heaven forever but hell was for the devil and demons. Your idea when you created us was that we could have perfect relationship with you and that's why you sent your only begotten son. But there's no other name like the name of Jesus that can wreck a system because he always wrecks it for good, for better. And we've tried to develop these systems of self-sufficiency and preservation, but today we humble ourselves before you, God. And we say, give me Jesus. 
because you can take that cup. You can take that agony. You can take that pain. You can take all the things that we've carried forever, and you can relieve us of it. Your shoulders were broad and strong enough to carry a cross so that we wouldn't have to carry what we carry today. And we thank you for that. So if it is your intent and your desire to give your life to him for the first time, to say, I, I, I'm going to go after this. I, don't, I know I don't have it figured out. I know I don't, I don't know everything about everything, but I feel like something in my heart was jumping today. And I think that's God saying, hey, hey, I'll give you Jesus if you want him. If that's you for the first time, all I want you to do is look at me and then you can close your eyes again when I see you because it's not some big fanfare. It's between you and me and God real quick. If you want to do that, okay? Anybody else? Alrighty. Awesome. Takes a lot of boldness to make that type of decision, okay? All right, okay, okay. Anybody else, you can close your eyes when you're done. It's just so we can communicate quickly. Okay, all right. Maybe you've struggled in this faith and it's been been hard for you. You've been let down by so many things, by so many people. I get it. And you just need a new, fresh, a fresh relationship with him. A do-over, if you will. And if you feel like that's you, just simply look at me and then you can close your eyes and we're gonna pray, okay? All right, anybody else? Okay, all right. Okay, okay, all right. It's a lot of us. That's like in the mirror every day sometimes, guys. Don't feel bad. Okay, all right. Okay, let's pray then. God, I thank you so much that your spirit is real. I thank you, God, that you performed the greatest miracle ever called resurrection, that you brought Jesus back to life so that we can live with you forever, God. I thank you that we have an understanding in our minds and our hearts that he came back to life for each and every one of us so that we can have life forever with him. God, we thank you for that. And for that, I am grateful. God, I thank you that this is a grace place, that in this room this morning there is grace There is not judgment, but grace. And God, as we get close to you and we get close to your son, we can see the grace on his face, the understanding of his immense, tremendous love for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for it. And we receive, we receive it this morning. So we've asked for repentance and we turn from self and we turn to you. And we love you and we thank you that we have received this grace and this relationship. And it gives us reason to sing. So if you guys wouldn't mind, please just stand with me this morning. And you have an opportunity to say, give me Jesus. And then leave with a sense of real triumph and victory. An understanding that everything has changed because of the resurrection because of Easter, because of the celebration that we have this morning, that he is risen. So we say it today, give me Jesus, and we choose to say it every day from this point on. Because the world will give you a lot of things, but if you choose to say, give me Jesus, just wait and see what happens. All right? Sing with me.